0: Welcome to StablePod, the podcast that explores the exciting world of decentralized systems and beyond. Join us as we delve into the limitless possibilities of decentralized governance, decentralized finance, and decentralized organizations with the most creative and innovative minds in the space. We'll hear from trailblazers who are building, shaping, and maintaining the future of these decentralized systems. From DAOs to NFTs, DeFi to Web3, we cover it all on StablePod. All right everyone, welcome back to another episode of Stable Pod. I'm your host Juan Escavel. I'm joined as always by my wonderful co-host Gustav Erntoft. How are you today, Gustav?
1: Very good. Very good. Thanks, Juan.
0: On today's episode, we have a guest I know you're very familiar with uh, and we're excited to bring on the podcast. The former governance architect at MakerDAO. He's Maker Mafia and now the CEO at Delve, formerly known as Element Finance. Charles St. Louis, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I want to, I want to start off with an easy one. Um, what is Delve and you self-describe as a factory for DeFi. What exactly are you trying to build?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, at Delve we're, I mean, you can think of us as an R and D studio that is kind of dedicated to the belief that all future like financial applications will be built on decentralized infrastructure, whether it's abstracted or not. Um, so at Delve, we basically build, I mean, we started out with element, um, protocol, the the current iteration of the fixed rate protocol, and right now we're working on iterations of that, but we're also really dedicated to building everything else that a DeFi protocol would need to survive, including a governance framework. Uh, the ability to host decentralized infrastructure and not rely on third parties. So what we really do is kind of focus on the future of people building this infrastructure and products on top of it. So, I mean, in short, our mission is to just
0: research, build and open
2: source our novel protocols so that we can propel this idea that decentralized infrastructure will power the future of finance.
0: So, so I want to get into the the different products in the suite in a little bit, uh, just curious to hear, like why the rebrand? I know before it was called something else and now it's Delve. Um, so why that, why did that? Exist? Yeah. So, I
2: mean, the rebrand is the reason for the rebrand is pretty simple. Um, when we were, as everyone knows, like we're the creator of the element protocol and the initial kind of release of the element DAO, Um, and it was confusing being named element finance and having the element protocol and the element DAO and even the element foundation, like who is what, what's the difference and so on. And to someone like myself, like I clearly knew what the difference was, but like for a majority of people, it was really confusing. So the purpose of the rebrand was to really just make it clear that we, yes, we were the creators of the protocol and the DAO. But we by no means control it, and we, we want to be viewed as a like third party contributor to the DAO who like cares about this protocol and proving it, um, and that it's not all one thing.
0: So outside of outside of this massive rebrand, um, I know the Delve team has had quite a busy twenty twenty three. I'm just curious to hear more about those changes, right? There's, like you said, you like you just described this reshift focus. Um, I'm, I'm just curious to hear more of like how twenty three has gone for the team.
2: Yeah, so twenty twenty three has been pretty like, I mean, as the rest of the industry's face, like there's ups and downs. Um, I will say our team is completely resilient and like, we're all just like very happy working together on a day-to-day, day-to-day basis. We just got back from our company offsite and I, I sentiment couldn't be higher on like how close we are to building hyperdrive and, and shipping it. Um, the, I mean, the, the low parts, cause I, I'm sure a lot of people want to hear that. Like not every company is doing very well like internally but they may look like it like on the outside like every company internally as you guys can probably relate is chaotic sometimes um so yeah we've been through kind of like restructuring we have worked towards like building a improvement to the original v1 of the protocol um and we decided to scrap it and put forward hyperdrive which is this brand new amm for um essentially fixed income And that was a a big change for everyone because we were really close to getting there from the protocol, smart contract side to the UI side, and we decided to scrap it all and just move forward. So yeah, it was a little tough for a while. And for the past nine months, we've been heads down building this. Um, We're getting quite close to our final audits, which is really exciting. And uh, we've been preparing kind of testing the whole thing with uh, internal trading competitions to make it really robust and doing user research, which I think is an undervalued thing in this industry. Um, but yeah, so we had those ups and downs, um, but we're very focused on really just pushing hyperdrive forward. At this point, you mentioned a lot of the other stuff we've worked on in the past, such as council, um, echo and agent zero, a lot of those projects, we still very much care about, and we do plan on working on, um, but right now we kind of have those on the back burner, um, because if anything's kind of taught us like how to be resilient in a bear market, it's to stay focused on like what's important and do one good thing very well, um, instead of get distracted with all the flashy things and other areas um, that a lot of projects have told me was their reason for closing down or having to move forward on something
0: else. I'm glad you are pointing that out because I do notice that, right? Like um, at least towards like the beginning of the bear market, uh, projects were starting to kind of try to expand and, and get into various different things to try to you know grow their market share, et cetera. Um, and when, when Delve launched, it was like, oh dang, they're doing all these different things, you know, maybe to some of the skeptics or some of the, you know, people on crypto Twitter, they're like, how are they going to go, you know, accomplish all of these? So it's good to hear that the Delve team is kind of like, has chosen the few projects to kind of focus a heads down on first and then kind of iterate and improve everything else around it as well. So,
2: yeah, we're trying to make that messaging a lot more clear that like these things that we're working on, I mean, they're not all full force at the same time. Like there are research projects. We're going to address them later. Like we're still kind of like, playing around with them. But I do want to let everyone know that our number one focus is working on hyperdrive and making that improvement.
0: So, so, so why don't we get into a few of these uh, projects um, sure. before, before we like dive into um, a couple that I want to touch on, why don't we give a broad overview for people that may not be as familiar? Um, I know you were more known for element uh, finance, element protocol before. Um, and so why don't we just kind of go quickly through the list, uh, you know, explain what it does. Uh, and then we could go even deeper after that.
2: The first one is obviously hyperdrive, which I've, uh, explained to everyone that, that is our focus. So what I'll say about that is it's this brand new AMM that, um, built on a lot of the learnings from element protocol that is currently live today. And, uh, so essentially what it really does is it allows people to do three things, um, at its core. And the first one is like taking a long position. So you're buying that fixed rate. The second is uh, shorts, which is taking a position on the variable side, and the third is LPing, um, which isn't the traditional kind of explanation of LPing, where you like you have two assets and and you put them in a pool, and they earn fees from the trading activity. With this type of LPing, it's single single sided, so that means you're LPing one asset. And yes, it is kind of earning the same fees from like the people who are taking the fixed rate positions, the longs and the short rate positions on the, on the, the variable side. But the improvements that we've kind of learned over the past couple of years with, uh, what we launched with and and what people know of today as the element protocol is that when you launch a fixed rate term, that's three months, six months, nine months, you name it there is a lot of pressure to get in there at the beginning, or else you're not locking in that fixed rate, right? Like if you go halfway through, you're not getting that promise fixed rate and it's not as capital efficient um, and many other variables. So that was one problem is that there was a defined start and end time. It wasn't flexible for users just to come in whenever. The second was the rollover problem and liquidity problem. So when you have a term and people are, um, LP'ing to get the variable and uh, fixed rate trading fees. they they basically have to remove their LP at the end of the term. And, um, a lot of people don't really want that headache where they have to roll over and go into the next term. Um, so what we did with hybrid drive and what is going to be like a lot better on the user experience side amongst other things is that there's essentially everlasting liquidity. So the way it works is like you have a yield source, let's say the DSR or Steve, And with that, you create a pool. And in that pool, you have terms on demand. So let's just say for simplicity, there's a three-month term. So as a user going into this term, um, you the second you go into it, that's when your term period starts. So it's not like the term starts on like October 12th at 1.20 p.m. EST. It's whenever you start and then whenever you remove it. Um, and from the LP side, the everlasting liquidity piece is really interesting because like I said, there's this pool with the yield source there and the terms are on demand. So if you LP in that pool, you're always LP in that pool, no matter what term is there. So it's not like you have to LP on a term basis, which is really interesting. You can basically leave your liquidity there forever and just keep earning. And those are like the major kind of um, aspects that we really wanted to improve the protocol for like the user types we're targeting and to kind of just remove like a burden of having to manage positions and whatnot. Um, I mean, I can talk about hybrid drive forever. I mean, those two things I really wanted to like communicate from the the UX side, because that is what we got a lot of feedback on. From the next kind of area that we've been focused on for the past couple of months Like I said, like it has tapered off a bit now that we're getting in the like the close end game of hyperdrive and that is council. So that is a governance protocol that is just built to be adaptable to kind of match the current needs of upgrading your protocol or the current political dynamics of just governance people interaction. And that is largely a part of what we learned from our experience at like maker governance, like ZeroX and Aragon and a lot of our teammates who are here along the way to build it. So, what it is, is you can think of it as like a very base level, like smart contract architecture with a core voting contract, and all the rest are just modules you kind of tack on top based on your use case. The most like key features I would say that are applicable to people would be like the governance steering council or the councils in general, which allow you to govern over a specific area of your DAO governance. The default of this protocol that you can launch with is that you'd have a governance steering council. You can kind of think of it as more of like an advisory board to your DAO where they can make decisions for like funding, like one-off grants. They can put proposals forward because liquid democracy isn't liquid democracy is always necessary. So they can kind of push votes forward. And if they don't meet a certain threshold, I mean, the rest of the DAO voters can kind of veto it. Um, the other kind of area that I really love, and it's my favorite part, is, is voting vaults where it allows you to have like one capital efficiency while voting, um, but two, it also just allows you to create different methods of voting if uh, token weighted voting isn't what you kind of want to have dominated in your, your voter participation of your DAO. So it allows you to do things like if you have governance tokens in a bar position or an LP position or anything related to DeFi, um, you can create a voting vault that allows that to capture the voting power and still be able to vote or delegate in the system. So you can go and do all those things that you'd like to do as an opportunity cost previously, but still maintain the ability to vote. It also applies to things like NFT ownership. Like if your DAO decides to give out a participation NFT or something for being there and during a certain event, like you can assign voting weight to that. Um, identity is the next kind of area that I think is really interesting is where like you can tie it to someone who's been involved in a DAO in a capacity of a con- contributor. Um, or a code contributor, things like that, where you can peg them, um, a certain voting weight and they can participate. So it really helps level out the types of voting power in a system. Whereas like previous token voting systems are pretty like plutocratic where like you can acquire a certain amount of governance tokens and sway governance, like an active investor. Um, so this allows you to really just get creative with who your people are in your DAO, how they should vote, what their voting, weight should be. And, um. It's been really fun to see that play out in a a couple of projects playing around with it. The two other kind of features are like optimistic grants, which is like a play on the word optimistic and also like optimistic rollups. But in short, it's basically a way to have incentive programs or grant programs from the DAO that don't necessarily have to be deployed each time they're set up. So it can kind of continuously roll and be granted with the ability to pull back the grant if they don't meet these milestones. Um, whereas like typically grants in the past are more kind of pessimistic, and that's why we called it that, because they usually assume that the grantee is not going to deliver or gonna fail on it, and that's like how the payment structure is set up. So they get a small amount at the beginning, they get a milestone in the middle, maybe, and then at the end they get the biggest sum. But a lot of the time they never reach those milestones, so they don't actually get it and it falls through. So those are the three kind of modules that are really important. But the thing that I will say about council is if you compare it to Governor Alpha or Bravo, those are just smart contract systems that you can use, they're, they're used quite often, um, but there's a lot missing when you want to set up a governance system. So you need a UI governance portal. You need the ability to understand the code and figure out what actually makes sense to customize your use case. So what we did on top of the Council of Smart Contracts is build Council Kit, which is an SDK for integrating the smart contracts to the reference UI that we built. Um, and a deployment CLI. So you can kind of customize the the smart contracts in the system or like those Lego pieces I was talking about for your use case and walk through the whole thing and deploy DAO in 30 minutes. So that's council. I mean, the other projects we're doing, uh, L5verse is, is a project that we did to reward the early contributors and participants in the element DAO when we launched governance in March of 2022 so the idea there was that like all these people have been around let's create this awesome like uh kind of narrative and story around the l5 versus elves and and create this project to make you feel like um, you're part of a community so the experiment here was something between nfts and governance and allowing that nft to be the first thing to represent a voting vault for nft power in a dao And um, the other two, which are kind of more on the back burner, like I mentioned earlier, is like Echo, which is a project kind of like a a peer-to-peer system that allows, that lays in the browser level. So it allows basically visitors of Web3 applications or governance front ends, for example, to peer and host infrastructure um, that's needed to power that. So a lot of projects today, especially governance portals or even UIs in protocol um, situations, uh, rely on third party like AWS and like these things where like Lambda functions, Chrome jobs, like everything, you name it, rely on outside third parties and it costs money. So a third party would have to pay for those things. So Echo is a protocol that would allow people to run front ends and data services and um, essentially compensate that by having people visit and peer, um, which is really interesting. For, for now, we've done the research on this, but like I said, like our focus is on HyperDrive. Um, we hope to revisit this in the future, because I think every DAO and and protocol could use the infrastructure for this. Um, but yeah, that's as much as I'll say about echo. And lastly, agent zero is this, uh, data simulation, um, project, which I'll say is, I mean, the analogy I like to say is in the early days of Amazon and AWS, like they built the AWS for their own needs and they realized over time how powerful and useful it was. So they rolled it out as a product and now it's debatably one of the most um, sought after tools that Amazon offers for businesses. So this agent zero framework is kind of like a simulation framework for um, the work we've done for hybrid drive and testing it from solidity to like economic design and um, pricing parameters and variance, you name it. So in the future, we'd, we'd be considering whether to make this open source, um and allow other teams to use this framework for their own testing of their protocols and um and so on so yeah that wraps up like all the projects um that are listed on our site like I said the the focus is only on one right now um but it is fun to talk about these things
1: so Charles um I think I, I can understand, like, a little bit more why you say, like, Delve is kind of, like, going to be this, you know, like, hub for building DeFi infrastructure, right? Because it really seems like, you know, I think in, in contrast to, like, a lot of other teams, it, like, every time you guys build something or try something, you want to also make this available for other people who is who is using it, right? Um, you know, we ourselves have been involved in, in the Element DAO, uh, and are, of course, like, quite a familiar with the stuff you build around uh, the governance infrastructure there. Um if you also you've been part of you know uh, building out governance for at least like the architecture for both maker and and now element so maybe you can take us a little bit through you know um what are like the key things that you want to see governance to be able to support a a project right because i think like before you were very focused on like the governance architecture for maker now you're sitting kind of like you know, leading a team who kind of has the DAO on the other side, uh, like how do you want governance to be shaped in a way so it can be like supporting you know us you like delve to basically you know the efforts that you guys are pushing out, the projects you guys are pushing out. Um, how 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 would you want the DAO to basically be organizing itself down the road?
2: That's a great question.
1: Uh, I, I think
2: initially, a lot of the lessons from the early days of the Element DAO. Um, are lessons from maker as well. And it's hard to kind of solve all those problems without like
1: kind of dealing with the problems directly. But what, what is, what are just a couple of those lessons uh, or maybe just one? <laughs> I mean, one thing is how
2: to structure contributing teams to a DAO. Should they be day-to-day monthly payroll style employees or groups, or should it just be more grants-based? And I do lean more towards the kind of one-off project or like funded initiative concept where they have all the things they want to accomplish in like a three to six month period. And it's like a one-off project where they kind of send it versus like more on the operating side or uh, the governance side where it's like day-to-day things. Um, Another area would be, I think a lot of the operational side of DAOs doesn't necessarily need to be on chain. A lot of it can be taken off chain with, especially like the payroll side of things. Um, It can be used with, you can use like CK proofs or or privacy preserving ways to just confirm that these people should get paid and and whatnot. Um, Yeah, I think the biggest problem is around the way DAOs approach contributors and we originally kind of emulated the way the core unit framework worked in that like groups would join and they were kind of like had they had like a leader they had like their mission and they could kind of get compensated for that work but it doesn't really scale that way and it often causes a lot more like bureaucracy around like how these people have their authorities which is something that the the council protocol does help with is like at the very least, if a team is voted in to do work and they're getting paid by the protocol and the governance holders support that, they should have authority over their area of expertise. So, like, for example, if they're a protocol team or a treasury team, they should have the ability to come in and make a fix or an upgrade without having to go through all those like barriers of governance. Or they should be able to spend up to a certain limit of the treasury to continue operations or fund a grant and do those things. So I think it's just the efficiency of governance and removing the need of like having a vote for every single like problem um, is the number one thing that I think um, most us struggle with, and even Element DAO did at the
1: beginning. If we if we could just go back like to to kind of like uh, the the yeah like I mean there's like a little bit about like the learnings right like um, in regards to, like the contributors then you said that you prefer to see more like you know like project based uh contributions right and i think for a lot of the things that like the dao scope evolves around you could you could have that stuff but there is also you know like just some tasks that you kind of like need you know more committed people uh to be working on right um also depending on like the level of like decentralization you want to achieve if you want to have like everything built just by the community or if you you know want to preserve some things under like a more you know, foundation-like uh, structure. So, uh, how would you then deal with kind of like some of the tasks that you know you would kind of like require uh, more like you know permanent personnel to be achieving, right? Like you know, let's say like you know the God Alpha style of maker, right, where you kind of like need these people to make governance even function, right? How do you then appr- how would you approach such a such a setup?
2: Yeah, and, and just to clarify what I was saying is that like I think more things can be initiative based. So like they promise a certain like outcome and they work on it for that period of time and they deliver it. So I still think that can fall under those like day-to-day stuff um, where like they're promising to get governance to a certain state of like coordination and organization and they can kind of re-up it after the initiative ends. Um, But I do like the idea that like initiatives can be targeted by anyone and it's like up for the doubt to decide and they lock that in. And you, you kind of want it to be a more flourishing ecosystem of service providers contributing to this DAO instead of individuals. So as like a Alpha, for example, like they would set up an initiative to like, let's bootstrap governance. Let's put this in place. Let's have frequently occurring community calls every two weeks or once a month. And once they set that precedent there, it's more likely that those things will naturally like occur later. Um, but at the very beginning, it is tough. I think, uh, especially with governance coordination. But yeah, I don't think that like the DAO should be like essentially an employer that like pays people like daily. Um, it's more kind of outcome based and like that would encourage more people, including like, uh, Stable Lab and how you interact with governance systems. Like that's a perfect example of how, a, a, a team should form and contribute to DAOs. And I think more DAOs should like emulate that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Can I just call out real quick? Um, since you kind of mentioned it uh, or touched on it, um, it has to reach that point first, right? Like yeah. to 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 be able to even begin to to allow to these types of service providers, these types of project initiatives to kind of form around certain areas of, of the DAO. Things kind of have to uh, within the DAO actually reach the point that you could start to compartmental uh, excuse me compartmentalize and like you know actually point to different uh, sections of the DAO that are even worth kind of uh, like a domain or kind of like taking over. So I just mm-hmm. did want to call that out that there's still that zero to one. That's still that, that 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 chasm that has to be crossed first. Um, and then you were able to kind of, you know, get teams to kind of service this specific area. Do you have any takes there?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that is part of the reason why we built council and council kit, because it allows you to bootstrap that initial stage of governance as like a team who's created this protocol and is launching the DAO. Because um, it offers, I mean, the governance portal where like you have the watering hole for making decisions, um, not just with like, liquid democracy, but for the groups that would be kind of there and and kind of campaigning to be on this council or whatever. Um, And like, so it is dependent on the team actually launching governance. I think a lot of the time to anticipate the initial bootstrap phase and how much process should be in place. That is one of the lessons we kind of learned from Maker is like when we developed the the MIPS framework. There were a lot of decisions that needed to be made on how to handle like collateral onboarding, like core units, um, technical upgrades, like you name it. And in retrospect, I think that framework was overly process oriented. Um, There was too many barriers to get through to do things. So it's, it's a fine line between like setting up a governance process for creating proposals, knowing where to put those proposals and how to vote on them. And, and essentially like having a vision that can translate. Like, I think a lot of teams very often just like push it to the DAO, like, oh, they'll figure it out. But you need to have like a baseline amount of like process in place that they can at least start with and then iterate on. So on that note, I think if you can set up a minimal process for just voting, proposing, accepting, blah, 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 and allow the framework to adapt based on like these participants, then that is the solution. Um, I do admit that that is still a big problem. I don't think there is like a one size fits all thing to, to, to fix that, but the adaptability aspect is different because like with the MIPS framework, it was very hard to like update the process. And I mean, I'll, I'll probably speak to this later, but with maker and the technical architecture of their smart contracts, they were the, the leader, the first on chain system ever, um, for governance. So they, in a way had the burden of like learning all these lessons and everyone else like building on top of it and and doing that. Um, but at the same time, like the system was like permissionless, like not upgradable, so changing that system would be such a burden, um, to do. So it didn't really set them up for success to adapt to the current dynamics of like the protocol evolving, governance evolving and so on. So that'd be my number one takeaway is like build your systems to actually evolve, like all governance has for millions of years, like if I know anything about governance, is that it changes like almost on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, I think also like well, one of the things is that uh, Maker kind of like the goal for Maker Governance was to govern a fully permissionless, fully decentralized protocol that like had no foundation, had like no one who, you know, would be sitting and watching over it. And like, you know, it should just be able to like live in perpetuity with this, right? And, and I think it's a little bit the same with how Ashna, uh, you know, was also built. You know, where they also came into kind of like a problem now where, you know, there was a bug so they had to take it down. But I don't, I'm not sure that like a lot of teams are actually building uh, DAOs today or like DeFi today with that goal in mind. Like my, you know, perception of like how most teams are dealing with governance is kind of like, you know, we want to like decentralize some part of the protocol and then we want to you know keep some part of the protocol you know like the development for example under like a foundation like structure so i think like if you have like a protocol where that is the the goal that potentially would also just require like a different approach right i I think it's very very rare that we talk with teams and we're like you know what you should do what maker did um because that's just often not the end goal right and like on that note we we actually really are, are liking kind of like the the council model in in early stage protocols, early stage DAOs, uh, because one of the biggest problems is is you know participation. Uh, but if you create a, a council, you kind like of have some people who is you know accepting and taking on the responsibility. And by taking on that responsibility, it creates you know some kind of like initial level of like participation. Um, how how are you guys, like, because, you know, now you've also been involved with, like, Maker, which was, mm-hmm. you know, of course, like, a little bit of a different beast, and then starting a, a, a DAO where you went from, like, zero to one. Uh, how how are you guys, like, approaching the, you know, the design to go towards, like, what the end goal of, of the element DAO might be, and then also creating kind of, like, that initial role of, like, participation? I mean, first of all, I think... We design council
2: and we are true believers of these DAOs being like decentralized and not controlled by like a foundation or, or whatever. So council in itself is purely meant for a truly decentralized DAO. And that does come with a lot of like burdens, right? Like it's harder. You have to give up control of like software that, you know, best, um, you have to rely on your like most loyal users and, and fans to govern. But at the end of the day, that is exactly what we've all been building towards. And I think like half-assing it is not something that like I would appreciate. So, I mean, you look at projects that also say, oh, let's obfuscate governance completely. Like, I think that's a horrible idea because one, um, you can't upgrade what you've originally built. You have to deploy something brand new and then kind of like migrate your users over and redo that all over again. I mean, you look at like Liquidity. Liquidity has so many great things about them, but the fact that they're building a V2 now and like they don't have governance makes it very difficult to then like kind of push forward Um, or even projects where like they don't believe in governance. Like I think at the end of the day, you do need humans or at least like well-trained AI in the future to be able to step in and fix something in a very like urgent situation. So I, I do believe that governance can be minimized and I am an advocate for that. Like you shouldn't have to vote on like changing a logo or doing something very minor. Um, governance is needed and it's kind of finding that kind of, uh, fine line between what is necessary and like who should be involved, um, to push it forward in terms of efficiency. So yeah, with like the council model, which is more related to real government structures where like not every single person has to vote on decisions. Like you trust the experts to make those decisions for you. And that's why you delegate to them and you you bring them onto the DAO. And that will help scale like decision-making. Like I'm truly believe that scaling is the most important thing in governance. And I'm not talking about scaling in terms of like roll-ups and um, other types of uh, scaling, but scaling the amount of decisions that can be made in a certain time period. So if you have to wait like a month to make a vote and something was critical, when a council could like already be in the know about it, they understand they're compensated to make that decision, I would choose that option any day. And there are a lot of projects that like, have been kind of playing around with council and they do love that idea. What I really want to see other teams in the element DAO experiment with when ready, of course, is to not just have like a governance steering council, but like a protocol steering council or a treasury steering council where they can like be the ones who kind of manage and work with contributors from the outside to make improvements, but also make decisions like in emergency situations for those projects. yeah, I'm not sure if I got the rest of your question there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think and and I think, you know, just like one comment or something that, that I found quite interesting you said, which is kind of like about this, you know, should we have governance or not, right? And I think like one thing is like if you if you are decent flight and you exclude governance, that means that you have created a static protocol. The protocol cannot change, you know. If you want to change something, you need to redeploy. And and I think like we live in an in a world and work in an industry which is far from static right it's probably one of the most dynamic places we have seen and you know just you know i mean charles i think you know we we joined maker maybe around the same time in 2018 right and have been like part of like DeFi since 30 days and like where we go and even with each wave of DeFi, like everything changes right And and i think like Saying that you know we should be static in a dynamic environment is is something which I personally think is is you know maybe not the the best approach um but of course, like you know by introducing governance, especially if it's truly permissionless governance, you're also introducing some some risk right some mm-hmm. some security factors uh, to be to be aware of,
2: yeah, so with governance and like the upgradeability around like those risks that you said you can. With council in particular, there's parts of it that are upgradable, um, but there are also parts that aren't. So, like I said, with like the core voting contract at the very base, and then you kind of like pick your modules on top, like a GSC, um, other voting modules, like voting vaults and um, time locks, which I, I don't understand why someone would want that, but it is an option. Um, you have the ability to upgrade voting vaults to update like their voting parameters, their quorums, like the, the voting thresholds. So you can remo- like, you can run experiments in this type of smart contract system, um, but the core contract itself is something that wouldn't be upgraded. Um, but all the other things that you can run experiments with, like you could test out like a protocol council, for example, and if it goes well, great, keep it. If it doesn't, like remove it. So I think like it's just the adaptability of these systems that really needs to be more realistic, um, and that goes with protocols too, and like keeping them static. Like, yeah, it's pretty ideal if you never have to change something, but like in reality, like people ask for features they need to like people go and build something even better like after you, and you need to adapt and compete. And so I think like being very. Focus on security and the upgradeability features of protocols is important, but without it, I don't think we'd be able to like keep up with like competitors or even like the market.
0: Can I? Sorry, can I? Can I just jump in and and play devil's advocate here? Can't yeah. Can't you just deploy a new version of the protocol each time? So I okay. So you mentioned liquidity, right? They had this issue where I believe it's liquidity, um, where the the rise of LSTs, right? And so then they had this whole issue where you know they, they wanted to adopt the LSTs into, their, into the protocol, but they couldn't because it's not upgradable. And mm-hmm. so um, couldn't you, you know, on the other side of this argument is like, sure, you know, I'd rather not go with governance. I'd rather just go with, I'm just going to continue to, you know, V2, V3, V4. Couldn't you just also do that?
2: Yeah, you could. But I, I mean, I guess the, in many cases, the the liquidity in these systems is the moat. I mean, a lot of people like to say like community is, but in many cases, it is uh, the liquidity. is that and- the same? <laughs> yeah, I mean not really. You'd you'd be surprised how many people in governance like DAOs don't actually like participate in the protocols themselves or have like liquidity in it. Um I would say yeah, it's definitely like a subset. People do like to like govern what they use. And like that's the ideal situation. Um But for migrating over, it's like more complicated than you think. There's like a lot of technical debt. Um, you have to make sure that there's no like kind of other token released as well. Cause like, I mean, that takes away a lot of the value for a lot of those people, why they were there and, and their voting power. So I guess you could launch a new system and t- like tie that same governance token to it. Um, but then you basically come up with like an ecosystem of protocols that basically do like iterative n plus one changes on, it and it comes pretty messy to manage. I do really like liquidity's model of their front end incentivization through their protocol. And I think a lot more projects should kind of like focus on incentivizing the entry points to protocols in general. And like, I think it's up to those teams who would be building front ends to introduce their own fee structures, their own compliance and KYC as we kind of progress through that like progressive compliance step um, through kind of like the United States and, and other countries like the UK. Um, but yeah, I mean, to answer your question, like I think that is possible, but I think it just gets equally as messy, if not worse.
1: Yeah, I would also say, like, you see, like, Aave now, right? They're, like, on RBV3, and I was actually, like, struggling a bit with the migration from RBV2. Um, and, and it also creates, like, risk, actually, because if you have, like, a borrowing and lending protocol that is tied to a governance token, and that governance token is, in many cases, the backstop, but now you are, kind of, like, operating these, like, fragmented protocols, right? Um, and also, like, another thing which was, like, um, when we look at, at, at the, the, for example, just like the tokens, right? We say, you know, Maker, for example, parts of it is not, also not upgradable. Um, but now we have new token standards coming out that actually you would want to have in a protocol like Maker, right? Mm-hmm. Now you cannot just deploy it like natively, right? You also have like with Liquidity, you know, oh, Ethereum was the best asset until all of a sudden we got a new version of Ethereum that they wanted, right? So it's like you can, you, you just, you create, try to create a static product and say that the resilience of that, You know, staticness is is what makes it good, but like in the end, you end up actually like alienating your users because you cannot offer them what they want, so then you have to redo it, right?
2: Yeah, when it comes to like any type of collateral onboarding or like token standards for like creating borrow positions or like yield sources... I am under the impression that like collateral onboarding shouldn't necessarily be a governance uh, workflow or, or, or needed at all. I do understand that like some protocols have more nuance with like risk parameters, kind of like maker, which makes a lot of sense. Um, but for things like Yearn or even like hyperdrive or any other kind of AMM style of things, like you can definitely create like a permissionless structure where people can deploy their own pools or like yield sources. and um, it's not really up to the DAO to like onboard those things. And from there, you basically, like the DAO would just kind of like whitelist UIs to trust them as sources for kind of accessing that. The cloud onboarding thing was definitely something that I think is a huge lesson for a lot of projects. And a lot of projects tried to emulate maker's cloud onboarding. It was a burdensome process. I mean, like four teams had to submit their reports. You'd have to go through like six votes and like any adjustments in the future would have to be like voted on as well. The concept of having like automated modules, like the automated debt, debt ceiling module was actually really, really great. And that kind of goes more to that thing I was saying about governance should have minimization. And if you kind of shake off the trading wheels of the training wheels of understanding how the protocol works, you can automate most things going forward. And I do like that push, but it didn't, never really took off for like the other side of things.
1: I think also like for specifically like, you know, collateral onboarding. Um... In the past, we saw like a lot of the, you know, protocols, they would always have like shared risk amongst the collateral, right? But I feel like we're seeing a lot in like the newer trend is like, you know, we don't want to share the risk amongst the collateral. And then in those cases, you know, you can just, you know, skip the collateral onboarding entirely because as you said you know you can create permissionless uh, pool creation Mm -hmm. Um, and then like another aspect of that is that you know we also ended up in a position you know where we saw that it's actually not that many collateral types that are even beneficial to have because the market demand is quite low on on a lot of collateral right so you know the whole method maker where basically the DAO had to offboard a lot of collateral because it wasn't paying for itself in oracle fees right so then you spend a lot of time All of these teams and people who spend so much time on pushing it through this like very bottlenecked process just to get it out online and then like there was like one million dollars in borrows from it and it earned like maybe 50k you know yeah
2: well even like the most recent like re thing as well i mean i think there was only like 47 volts or something and like yeah i mean i think a cool system would be like yeah you can permissionlessly add collateral types and it's the entry points that are kind of governed by the protocol so like let's say like all three of us set up a front end where we allow people to create uh vaults and borrow against the protocol with like there's like a factory contract that allows us to permissionally like push these um vault types and um allow people to borrow against them and it's up to governance to be like all right this is a trusted source for front end um all the collateral types that they have there are allowed to be borrowed against and like it's legit Versus having to have like every collateral type be onboarded and then be listed on a UI that someone else is hosting or like there's a main kind of access point. Yeah, I mean, there's probably more nuance in there, but I think that kind of model of interacting with protocols and, and governance is probably what we're going to see a lot happen a lot more in the future.
1: Yeah, I think like uh, the only thing, though, is that, you know, as we've also seen is like the more complexity you add around these protocols, which often happens when you want to have things just like permissionless asset listings the more complicated they get. And uh, security becomes increasingly a problem, right? Um, I think what, one of the things that, you know, you must give kind of like protocols like, you know, Maker and Aave uh, is that it's quite simplistic still, at least Aave used to be. I, I don't know. I haven't really looked into uh, the V3 with the Go edition now, but, but you know, Maker still is quite a simplistic protocol. So you know, kind of like keeping this like simplistic design that doesn't like overcomplicate things to open up you know a variety of, of new potential attack and security vectors is of course also like a concern you know when you're dwindling down governance uh, maybe you're opening up uh you know other security uh, problems right
2: one say one thing i will say about ave that i have always like admired is the use of like the staked ave as like the backstop of their protocol and kind of incentivizing their users to protect everything in like like by giving them a small reward in the case that like if it does all shut down like they get the, the biggest haircut yeah, I do think like having the utility of governance token to protect the protocol in like those emergency situations is is very useful. Um, and I do admire um, MakerDAO's uh, end kind of capability for like the emergency shutdown. I think those types of things in protocols make a lot of sense, especially in the borrowing and lending side. On the like protocols that are more kind of yield based like yearn or like element, um, Pendle, like you name these different things. Like, I don't think they necessarily, they'd have to work harder to build in that backstop for their systems because at the end of the day, it's not that their protocol would be kind of draining funds or getting exploited or like failing. It's that the underlying yield sources that they're supporting are kind of um, failing. So the only emergency kind of situations you have in place is to pause like access to the protocol through governance or pause pools and something like that because they're not going to lose their money but like you don't want people to participate in something that is exploited.
0: Charles, do you buy into this um, distinction between borrowing and lending protocols, like the governance specifically um, and AMMs and like these yield type protocols, do you, do you buy into that distinction that governance will evolve differently and that's okay. Um, And also uh, a hyperdrive is an AMM, you know, will they have governance?
2: (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, my take on that is governance is determined on a case-by-case basis. There's no like standard model that works for everyone, which is why we built Council to be kind of adaptable to that sense. Or like you can kind of customize it based on your use case. You can minimize as much as you want. You can like bloat as much as you want. Um, so I wouldn't say that like governor Alpha or Bravo or Council or all those things like as a default framework would work And I think the problem here is that people always have governance in mind as like a second thought. Their first thought is designing the protocol, but they should really have just as much energy spent on how it's going to be governed in the future, instead of just leaving it up to like their users in the community to decide. Um, but yeah, I mean, governance for AMMs is largely different than borrowing and lending protocols. So I think it's more minimized. I don't think there's like enough things that need to be voted on sometimes. I mean, if you look at like the Uniswap DAO, I mean, they have the fee switch and they have their treasury, but like there's a lot of other decisions that don't really need to be put on governance.
0: That's just the grass. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd advocate for like not having a DAO in that case in, in some situations, but like with Maker, I mean, the decisions to run that decentralized protocol and onboard collateral, which could be more efficient, does still need governance at the end of the day um so yeah i mean it's very different
1: so charles like uh, a last topic here for me that i wanted to cover uh, a bit is uh, that you know we we ourselves have been working a little bit with the idea of you know um you know working with like DAO constitutions um Mm -hmm. where like you know at maker you know rather than saying you know like writing a constitution which is like this is like the responsibility areas like what you should be doing you basically create like an end-to-end framework which you know was just what you could do, right? Uh, so, you know, we we have been, because like we saw um, that one of the problems that I, I think was what happened with Maker was that we we said the DAO is able to do everything. And, uh, you know, you can propose anything, you can do anything you want, you can onboard any, any core unit, you can, you know, take on any responsibility, you can collaborate in any possible way, and you can ask, you know, the DAO to like finance it. So it's basically like, you know, everything was possible, but you just need to follow this like framework where like with the constitution, it's like the framework is less defined, but the scope of what you can do is much more defined, right? Um, is this something that you guys are like, you know, looking at in regards to like Element DAO or like, you know, any of like the other like projects you have using using Governor, um, what is like your take on kind of like working more with the possibilities rather than the, the, the rules?
2: Yeah, I would say that, I mean, that's a great area to focus on and i mean to start off that kind of response is many daos launch without like a general vision or direction and i mean when we first kind of launched the element dao and passed it on to like the community and, and governance token holders we wrote up um a post on like what our vision was for this from the beginning when we were designing it what we would like the community to consider kind of like keeping in their minds as they build things. Um, The accountability is the hard part, but like I said with um, earlier on how I think kind of contributors and, and further contributions to different parts of the DAO should kind of be pushed forward is like on an initiative base. So like you said about constitutions, I think a constitution can be like a general vision and direction, like solve climate change or give everyone access to internet. Like that's our marching orders and like all the things that we should do as a DAO should kind of try to get to that level. But that's very hard to achieve if you don't have initiatives. So I, th- I think it'd be great if DAOs kind of agreed on like phases or initiatives to march towards. So like you set like an initiative like bootstrapping phase. Let's have governance in place where people can contribute. Let's identify what needs to be improved in terms of the smart contracts and protocol. Let's set up a grants program, those kind of things. And anyone applying to work with the DAO should follow in that scope. So all the initiatives proposed would get rejected if they fall out of marching towards those three points in the ultimate vision. So like, I like the idea of having initiatives towards the ultimate vision and breaking up the contributors in those filters. Um, And from like the element DAO perspective, I mean, they're in that bootstrapping phase and like um, I join the community calls every two weeks and I think they're very focused on... Creating a program right now for those initiatives and how we're going to break up the phases of one being solid enough to manage day to day stuff and like onboard contributors to deal with the upgrade potential of hyperdrive down the line, um, starting with a test net and seeing where it goes after that. Um, and I think they're really smart people and I think you just need to be iterative, like instead of just going for the big goal right away, which a lot of does do.
0: Yeah. That's something we, we, we see a lot of, right? Well, not a lot, but we do tend to see a a recurring pattern where there's, especially in the progressive decentralization, um, aspect where you have a centralized entity, build a protocol, and then there's a lot of back and forth in terms of, okay, like, what are you going to relinquish to your, what are you going to hand over to your, to your community? You know, what are you comfortable handing over? And there's always a friction point there. Always. I don't know if you have any any perspectives or take on that i
2: think that is simply just like the trade-off for becoming truly decentralized um like i said earlier like half-assing that ends up kind of causing more problems down the line it is like that cliche saying where it's like short-term pain long-term gain you're really just kind of like dealing yourselves more long-term pain by kind of slowly giving control over um, and I think a lot of projects could just be better at like the educational aspects of things, like really understanding the scope of managing the software. So like putting those processes in place. Cause a, a lot of the time, like people just don't know what they're governing and they don't know where this is going. They know like the short-term kind of benefits. Um, they think they know how to kind of organize, but yeah, setting, setting the precedent there is really important. And that's why I think a lot of core teams should over kind of like, prescribe the initial launch bootstrap phase where like they tell them what their vision was they can carry it on if they want they have these things to kind of start organizing and as a group they all kind of work together to figure out like the next steps and and so on which is all all easier said than done but i think it is a trade-off it's not something that like you can really improve at least yet um but yeah i mean if, if you want to kind of be fully decentralized it comes with problems.
0: Yeah, totally. Uh, only a few more questions Charles and then we'll let you go. I, I did want to touch on MakerDAO. Obviously you have a long history there and I know we touched on a little bit uh, prior, but as the former governance architect at MakerDAO, um why do you think um to some people it failed? Um and and what's your take on endgame? Like the maker protocol failed or governance failed or both. MakerDAO governance to be more specific, if you'd like. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say it failed. I think it's still working today. It's robust. Maybe it's not efficient as it could be, um, or it doesn't seem as efficient as like we'd like. But like I said earlier, it it was the first on-chain governance system out there. And like, because of that, they had to take on a lot of burdens and, and learn lessons that everyone else had the privilege of kind of like just watching and observing and and learning from where they had to actually be in the trenches, learning it themselves. But I mean, my number one takeaway probably is that like the technical system wasn't necessarily built to like, yeah, be adaptable and scale with the system. Um, or even like the, the current political dynamics where like anyone can kind of be like an armchair govern politic politician. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it failed. I think it's still doing the job that it was originally programmed to do.
0: Well, well, the core unit model was thrown away, right? So so in so many words, I've heard Rune say too much bureaucracy. He, he's kind of illustrated it or painted the picture as like a, a personnel problem, like a person problem, like a, a human resource problem that, need, that things needed to shift underneath them to kind of get rid of this bureaucracy, this thing that can't scale with as maker now begins to continue to scale yeah so there
2: i mean there's a difference between the like failures of like the technical system and the process side of things so with the core unit model it was more so on like the latter um where i mean it's it was a great idea at the time and it worked for quite some time um but as most things kind of go in this industry like people figured out how to game it and like make core units for things that shouldn't actually be like funded or even be continued. So I'm like the core unit model was an experiment for sure. Um, and they learned the lessons there. I wouldn't say I'm convinced that that's the only reason, um, the structure failed due to bureaucracy and politics. I do think there was too much process inputted it on like the on-chain side of things and operations and how these core unit budgets were approved. They were treated like, kind of like an on-chain organization. Where it really shouldn't have been treated that way. Um, in terms of the end game, I think like I think it's pretty awesome. Um, I'll admit that it took a lot of time for me to kind of figure out the stages, just with like the vast amount of information out there and like the information asymmetry between different people understanding it. But I've, as we've kind of approached like enough time for people to really digest it. It does seem like it's going to be a pretty awesome project, and it is going more towards that ecosystem of contributors and incentivizing those contributors as a whole in the base layer of the protocol. And I think it will it will do really well. I mean, there's going to be a lot of like kind of time to adopt and, and um, evolve. And there are a few projects like Spark, for example, in Phoenix, who are doing a really cool job with working with the protocol and, and getting those allocations but I think MakerDAO is now solidifying itself as like the core infrastructure for a lot of the future of like our financial systems. So that will be over time abstracted away, where it's these other kind of like sub DAOs or, or organizations interacting with like the liquidity engine itself versus like it just purely being like a a borrowing system for retail. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's just a matter of just keep watching it. I am excited for it but uh it did take some time to digest.
0: Yeah, we're we're excited too. Uh final question Charles, uh what what's your fondest memory of your time at MakerDAO? I think you were like one of the extremely early hires of the foundation, correct me if I'm wrong.
2: I mean, I think at the end like the foundation and like the protocol was uh 120, 100 people. I was in 2018 at the beginning with I think Gustav as well. And it was around like 40, 50 people. Um so I wouldn't say I was like early early. I was the first person to be onboarded to the DAO as like a mandated actor officially on chain. Maybe that's what you're thinking of, but the fondest memory memories I have would probably be, I mean, first launching MCD, it was like years and years of work. It was one of the most satisfying things of my career and just being there in in person and seeing a full team of like remote people come together to ship this incredible infrastructure software was just like mind blowing. Dealing with Black Thursday as well. Um, I think I was at like an engineering offsite in, in Warsaw and uh, we were all ready to basically fly home and then Black Thursday happened. And it was on top of that, that was when like the US was ordering people to go back to the States because of COVID. Um, but to see everyone manage and, and kind of work and brain meld together to solve the problem was just uh, really impressive. And it did show me that remote teams can be just as efficient as in-person and uh i mean the last thing would probably be like kind of yeah being a part of the self-sustaining dao initiative like like dissolving the foundation and truly putting this like protocol um contr- like as a contributor and, and maintainer to the people who actually govern it like token holders um yeah i mean i can keep on going but those are probably the ones that like really just kind of are fond memories and uh yeah i wouldn't trade that for the world
1: so maybe maybe just uh what's your uh best memory of uh, working with uh, the element protocol or well, delve now yeah
2: because with element and like the element protocol and the launch of that it was i mean a lot more zero to one stuff so where whereas with maker i was kind of just like helping kind of ship the mcd and like it was already an established idea we like knew what we were doing and I mean, a bit of that work was kind of like new on governance side, which like was a lot of fun. But with Element, it was like shipping this brand new protocol from nothing with a bunch of people who I loved working with every day. So, just launching testnet and seeing people actually use the things we build was incredible. And then carrying that on to mainnet was uh, so satisfying. And and honestly, the most satisfaction I get is just like being able to improve it and and see like where it's going to go and, and kind of figure out where this thing is going to mix into the future of like our financial systems so i mean every day i actually think is probably my favorite day
0: i mean that's why he's building a factory right yeah (laughs) to just continue to (laughs) to ship products that he could get that experience that again and again well uh charles i think this is a good place to wrap um any final thoughts or comments as we wrap
2: final thoughts would be just uh i think a lot of people forget that this emerging technology is really a huge experiment. And I think we're all here to push it forward. And we all truly believe that this will be the future of how we interact with financial tools, manage organizations with governance. And I think it's just important to remember that. Um, Try not to take things too seriously, like have fun with it, experiment, especially during this kind of market. And um, yeah, like I think, there's going to be a lot of tough times, including today with, like, the regulatory environment and, like, the bear market. But uh, as we know with, like, the internet and all the innovations there, like, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. So just keep that in mind.
0: <laughs> all right, we're going towards it. Any, any final thoughts, Gustav?
1: Um, I'm, like, really excited to see where everything is headed with, uh, with, with Element and uh, really excited to see, you know, uh, have more launch and uh, see what's going to come out of that. Um, so yeah, just uh, and you know, also excited to continue to con- contribute in the future as Stable Lab. Awesome. Well, thanks, gentlemen.
0: Thank you, Charles, for for joining. Yeah, this us. Was fun. Thanks, thanks guys. Thank you, Gustaf. We'll see you on the next episode, of Stable Pod.